Uh, yeah, it's Will, it's pod 14. Have we got to 14 already? It seems high. Season is going on. I'm Jesse Spector. Um, there's music playing. Have not set up that button yet. Someday I will. And also I'll do the other part of the song that I want to do. That's the whole thing. Addy, take it away. Um, hi. <laughs> Sorry. Um. I was just, much like the Mets and I just like flailing out of, oh goodness, what has happened to, to this team. Addy Baird. Yeah, I'm going to be honest. Okay, I'm of two minds. On the one hand, part of me is like, the season's over, everything's dead, this is the Mets. And on the other hand, I watched Bull Durham the other night, and I was really struck by, and keep coming back to, it's a long season, and you gotta trust it. Yeah. They're gonna lose 60-ish games. That's how it is. Who's wearing, who's wearing garters? <laughs> Probably... <laughs> Was, is his name AJ Alvarez? I don't even know what that guy's name was. I RJ. RJ? RJ Alvarez. I uh, did literally think of Nuke every time he like was throwing over the head of multiple Braves batters. My goodness. Yeah. Uh, so the voice that you heard there was uh, one of our two new co-hosts. Everyone's a co-host. Everyone's family here. Um but also one of the two co-hosts of our to come and to be named football show. Uh, that was Keelan Ballou. So Keelan, you can say hi, I guess. I'm sorry. I interjected. No, no, it's good. <laughs> I, I am so once again, lost in the woods uh, without Allison getting us lost in the woods. I expect to come on this show and be lost in the woods um, because well, Allison is Allison um, and, and does to this show what she wants to. Um, and I love that. And it's why I love being part of it. But I also love being part of it when she's not here. I just have no idea how to start things because the best thing that we can. Blah, blah, blah. I've talked so much in two and a half minutes. Keelan, how you doing? Great. Wonderful. Okay. And Britt Huber's here too. Britt, how are you? <laughs> Hi. Uh, well, I didn't watch the Yankees today, so I'm great. They stink too. They also stink in a way that um, I, I need to rant a little bit off the top here, and, and hopefully this will get us going. I went to the Yankees game on Monday night, um, and it was Harry Potter and the Cursed Child, the musical uh, Yankees beach towel night for reasons I don't know. Um, they introduced the Rays as being Slytherin and the Yankees as being Gryffindor. And then the Yankees went out there and um, just absolutely crapped themselves. Um, so congratulations to Slytherin uh, for, for winning that one. But also I went because it, I went because my daughter Alice is a freaking huge Harry Potter fan and I wanted to get the towel and I showed up, you know, a good half hour before the game and the towels were all gone which means that there's thousands of kids who showed up like on time for the game with their families, like open, like it wasn't really that big of a deal for me because I didn't go promising the towel. Cause I've been screwed over by enough Yankee giveaways by now to know that you can't actually depend on getting it. It already happened, you know, once this year with a bobblehead, 
I'm going to make damn sure that I get there early on Friday, like when the gates open so that I can get the John Sterling and Susan Waldman one that talks. But like, you're the New York Yankees. You can't afford to print up more than 10,000 goddamn beach towels. I was going to say, what was it? First 10,000? Because I feel like that's the way they always screw people. Like, I remember when the Mets used to do free shirt Fridays, it was always first 25. And you could just kind of, like, roll into the game. The Mets were really bad, too. So you could just yeah. kind of, like, roll into the game. And, like, it was 25,000 because they knew that they weren't getting 25,000. <laughs> it was great. I had um, a ton of, yeah, I had a whole collection of those free shirts. But 10,000, like, that's, you got to plan for that shit. It's and I think that's, Monday. Right. I think that's a really good point too about like, look, if the team's bad, I understand not wanting to make 40,000 or something when you know you're not going to get 40,000 people to show up because what do you do with the rest of them? I get that. But when you're, again, when you're the Yankees and when you are allegedly uh, a highly competitive baseball team, yeah, like just do better. Uh, I give the Giants credit that they – a handful of years ago transitioned to everything was first 40,000, which was great. And it made things so much less chaotic on like bobblehead giveaways and stuff. They have since doing that because the team was again, team was bad and they weren't selling out the same way. Um, but you know, my hope is that they transition back to that when the team is better, because I do think it just makes sense. And how, how expensive can those things possibly be to produce? Like for a multi-billion dollar organization, how meaningful can the difference between making 10,000 or 15,000 and making 30,000 or 40,000 really be? Yeah, I think that you would start to get into bigger and bigger bulk discounts for one thing on your, on your wholesale. And also you make it up. Like it's a stupidly easy investment. Like People are happier. They have a giveaway. They're going to buy more concession items. They're going to come back. Like, if I was in a different situation, I would have gone to that game last night, been like, no towel. I came here for the towel. My kid wants a towel. Fuck you. I'm never coming back. Like, I'm already married to somebody who has been steadfast in her refusal to attend Yankee games since they gave her a hard time of bringing in her Nook e-reader. Like, Wow. I will say the last time that I, the last and final time that I went to a game at Yankee stadium, I went from my office and I brought my laptop and I got there and they were like, you're not coming in. And I was like, excuse me. And my friend went in. I had to go all the way back to Midtown, put the laptop in my office, get back up there. I find out the next day that one of my coworkers was at the game, also brought his laptop, and gave the security guard $10, and he let him in with the laptop. And that's not even the cost of a beer. $10? No. Like, that's the part that's the most offensive to me. I'm like, it would cost $10? dollars like that's all i had to do it cost me more to like get back on the train and like so i feel you're i i'm really like i i stand in solidarity with jesse's wife and her kindle nook e-reader and since then the places like the bars across the street have all gotten smart and been like yeah we'll hold yourself just uh five ten bucks whatever there's also like a, 
there's like a locker thing that sets up in the parking lot at Mets games now too. Yeah, they do that. So um, at Nats Park, you have to have a clear bags. And there is kind of a lockery thing, but the real genius is there's a guy that has started selling clear bags that are like exactly the largest allowed in shape, like standing right outside of the gates. And I just think like, what an entrepreneur, you know? That's gotta be a hustle selling bottled water, right? Yeah. yeah. This is capitalism. Oh yeah, those guys are all outside Yankee Stadium too. They're and they're they're yelling it. They're like, you know, you can bring it in if it's still closed and it's way cheaper out here. But the teams haven't figured out those guys are taking from their profit. Not all of them. Because but I guess the lockers I need the lockers. It, true, it truly cuts into it. I mean, if I went to a game and they were like, you can't come in because of your bag, I would spend money on a locker depending on my situation. I don't know. I mean... It's, I it's still not as bad as the NFL where um, my wife's family has been Patriots season ticket holders since they were in the AFL. Um, and we went to a preseason game in 2015, the year my son was born um, because he was less than six months old. Um, and they were like, he needs a ticket to get in. So it was uh, me, my wife, my brother-in-law, my daughter, and an infant, and they're like, no, you need a fifth ticket to get in it. <laughs> and like, he can't sit in a seat. <laughs> He's a potato. He's too small <laughs> to fit <laughs> in a seat. Oh, what football is. <laughs> so they, they turned around and sat in the parking lot while we watched one quarter of football. No. <laughs> then turned around to meet them. That's Damn. Terrible. That's evil. Like, because it's all—it's not like you can just be like, "All right, well, we're gonna, you know, get out of Foxborough," but also like you can't get another ticket because every NFL, like certainly every Patriots game, is sold out. Um, you can't just be like, "Yeah, one general admission for this baby uh, that you're making me <laughs> buy another ticket for." Uh, so that's. Uh, but speaking of of entrepreneurs, we we have launched. Just as this podcast was getting ready to begin, we have a new shirt on willitspen.com, the butts shirt. Uh, <laughs> but. so go to willitspen.com. It is uh, redesigned to, to better reflect that. I feel like we should address this now because this is it is a book project, Will It's Pen. Um, but this Mets season kind of necessitates like not writing a book while in the middle of it, because like if we're yeah. gonna write an ebook about the Mets, like this is kind of an important year in the Mets history. Not just because it's the 60th anniversary, but like all the change that we've seen, everything that you know it represents. It's it's a seismic thing. That and I started a new job and like want to do this well and do the job well and like why would we rush a book that's a labor of love and not subject to any deadlines? So. Um, willitspen.com is more now like you can click on a, all the t-shirts and stuff and like we got Queen's Neighborhood t-shirts and the Metsy font that I got for $6 and um, we will have more shirts and art done by people who are actually good at shirts and art and the newsletter uh, Addie you're, you're going to be editing more that's awesome yeah 
I love I love to edit. That's actually my my little dark secret. <laughs> is I love editing. <laughs> and yet, and yet, as a, a writer, reporter, whatever essayist, whatever you want to be, you scooped the New York Times and the Washington Post. You were on the SNY rules story first, and and shout out to that, and shout out to our little organization here for for getting on the board that way, and and you for doing it. Well, that was that was a little treat. I, and also, I was like, come on. I, much like I was like, I liked Edwin Diaz's trumpet entrance before it was cool. I was like, come on, guys. <laughs> like, jeez. <laughs> but Jesse, I do think you're right also that the way it's unfolding book-wise makes sense because this series is such a perfect example of like, there's never been a, a like there there's this narrative that we all want the season to be and we come on this podcast every week and we feed into this narrative that I think is largely real that the Mets are yeah. that the Mets are good and they're magical and and you know like yeah they're gonna lose like at least sixty games. But, like, some of those games are also going to be, like, ones we really want to win that, like, feel like they matter more than other ones and do change. Like, I don't, like, I can't tell what to say about what this means because we're just, like, sitting in it. And so I think it makes absolutely no sense for us to try and write a book about the Mets while it's this, like, active, um, like, very live bomb <laughs> going off in front of us. Is it the well, good kind of bomb or the bad kind? I would say kind of on that same subject too, like with with the benefit of hindsight, um, in 2010, which was, I think, in a lot of ways, kind of a similar mm-hmm. experience for the Giants as it is for the Mets this year. Uh, the Giants played some of the worst baseball I've ever seen in my life in the month of August that year. Uh, and I feel like I should send the team my therapy bills and it took a years off my life. And in the midst of it, it felt so, so bad. Like, of course, they are going to fall apart. They're going to get so close and they're going to totally shit the bed. And they didn't, miraculously, right? Like that is not how the story ended. But in the moment, it is, so hard to know because like when you're looking at that month of like what is happening right now like did you all forget to play how to play baseball like what is happening it feels so bad in the moment and you can't know until you have the benefit of hindsight whether it is the beginning of an epic collapse or if it's just the nature of baseball and it's a lot of games and the season's hard and you're gonna look bad sometimes even if you are a fundamentally good team yeah, and and the Mets really haven't looked bad like for any extended stretches this season at all. Like that's that's a bizarre. That's the thing that makes it like even starker. When, but like, I think what is a concern here is you know you see Carlos Carrasco and Taiwan Walker leave early on right. back-to-back nights. Now the good thing and the difference and by the time people hear this they'll know how this played out and hopefully it's not with them also leaving games early god forbid um 
I don't even want to think about it. The Mets big star pitchers leaving games early are followed by Max Scherzer and Jacob DeGrom. Right. That, right. And also remember that four-game series, not most recently with the Braves, that was five, but the one before where we split it. We lost the first two. We won the second two. We were like, we came out the other side being like, that felt great. <laughs> like, I do think that's still a possibility. It is a lot and better I than also, the last two. Well, but I do also think, like, it's still concerning to me that Luis Guillorme is also hurt. Mm-hmm. And like I, it it feels at this moment like we're standing on thin ice. <laughs> you know, the Yankees are are in this kind of like they look a lot worse right now. But like, and their injuries are more severe. But like, they're going Wait, through so this. Why, tell me why the Yankees look so bad, you guys. I literally don't care about them, so I don't know what happened. <laughs> Well, I mean, Stanton's I hurt, LeMahieu's hurt, <laughs> Severino's hurt, um, Clay Holmes turned into a pumpkin. Um, like Aaron Hicks is... Aaron Hicks is... I, I have no words for what Aaron Hicks is right now. Just, he's cooked. Like, it happens. It happens fast yeah. to some guys, and it happens even faster when some guys have had just catastrophic body breakdowns over the years like he has like he is the blues brothers car at the end of the movie as far as his body goes like it's done he he got way more out of it than he had any right to and and certainly than the yankees had any right to expect and yeah more happily finished is josh donaldson who sucks i'm i'm so done I'm so done. Like it's it's insult to injury is the thing, right? When it's like it's when it's someone that you don't actually want to have to play for a team that you root for in the first place for like non baseball reasons, and then they can't even show up and like do their job well. It's like it's like when Chapman pitches badly, where it's like, why are you here? Like, what am I doing? What am I what am I spending my time doing right now other than watching a person that I don't particularly like do a thing badly? Like that's miserable. Um, <laughs> I really- there was a tweet of Josh Donaldson is hitless since the FBI raided Mar-a-Lago. <laughs> it's the best thing I've ever seen. <laughs> Wait, did you guys see the tweet that was just the Diaz entrance as the, like, you know, it captioned <laughs> the feds rolling into Mar-a-Lago? <laughs> I will say, uh, on the subject of the Yankees, though, I will say that I think they are somewhat a victim of their own success purely in the sense that when you have a bunch of injuries and sort of just, I don't even know what sometimes you look really bad at baseball. um, When you have all of that happen sort of right on the heels of having played above their heads, like this is a very talented team, but let's, I'm going to be absolutely honest. They were, they are not as good as they were playing early in the season. So it just sort of makes the Delta that much more extreme than where when you go immediately from playing sort of probably above your true, true talent level, not even necessarily above, but you know, you're, you're like a 95th percentile outcome or something on one end. And then you swing so far the opposite direction that it just makes it feel so much worse. Like it's bad, but I think it feels even worse than it would otherwise it's because awesome. it was such an immediate like extreme drop off 
Well, we talked about that on the podcast. I remember too, we were, when the Yankees were playing really well and then that's like, the Mets don't go on like 10 game win streaks. They they never have this year. And seven is the longest. Yeah. And, you know, I remember Jesse and I saying like the way the Yankees are playing is not sustainable. The way the Mets are playing actually does seem sustainable. Like, because They've all like they've lost two games in a row and had in, like three injured players at once before. Like, remember when Jacob Degrom and Max Scherzer were both hurt and we were all like the season's over? Like, yeah, you know, I I don't know. I I'm just I I really appreciate the the look the lay of the Giants and knowing that they played so poorly in August because. I do think that this team is fundamentally good, and that's the difference is that, like, when the Mets collapsed last year, fundamentally we all kind of – I felt like we knew the team was bad, and we were like, okay. <laughs> yeah, like, Javi Baez was uh, – I I will defend that trade forever because it was – It was fun. It was fun. It was a shoot-your-shot kind of move. Like, they probably – it probably wasn't going to work, but – if it worked, it would have worked spectacularly. And like, he was, you know, best buddies with Lindor. So you had reason to believe that like, maybe it would click instead of, um, going the absolute opposite way. And like, I mean, like being like the bad influence in the Francisco Lindor narrative, like, Finally got away from Javi Baez and found his dad, baseball dad, Buck Walter. Like it's literally, it's, it's like such a perfect little moment in the in the Lindor in New York story. Yeah, um, I think yeah, I think they're gonna be okay. And the other thing for the Mets is that yeah, they're playing Atlanta now. The most of the balance of their schedule is some of um, some teams that are going to make Keith Hernandez wish he was watching the Phillies. Yeah, I mean. They do have to play the Yankees again, so <laughs> two games, yeah. And but the Yankees are and also the Yankees are bad. Yeah, oh, there are some there. There's people that paid a lot of money for tickets to those games because I was looking at SeatGeek for those. Who boy? I think the other thing, and and it's hard to think about this because it does it can sort of feel like getting ahead of yourself, but like the reality is too that not not to curse it, right? But like. At this point, you start thinking about October and get get there. Get in. Yeah. Get uh, in, and- show up, and see what happens. Uh, I have seen, I think we've all seen, again, as somebody who watches the Giants a lot, um, the 2014 Giants were not good. They weren't. I'm going to be very real. They were not good. They came out of it with a ring. Like, weird stuff happens. So you don't have to be the perfect team coming into the postseason necessarily. You have to be at a good place in that moment, and you have to probably have some things break your way. And and that's kind of scary and reassuring at the same time. But, you know, the, the reality is that the, the benefit of having played well all season, and this is true for the Mets and the Yankees both, actually, is that you've banked those wins. Like, you have put yourself in a good position to get through 162 so that you can focus on the part of it that is where you really the rubber hits the road. 
And I think that the Yankees also are hurt right now by not having had October be any kind of a question since about May. Like, they've had a 10-game lead in the division all year long, sometimes even bigger. Like, it's it's not even a question. Like, it's them and the Astros getting the buys. Uh, does it really matter who has Game 7 of the ALCS? Probably does, but also the Yankees aren't going to bust their ass over it when they have everybody hurt and also a crappy manager who's actually who's going to ultimately, as I continue to say, be the reason that they lose in the playoffs yet again. That and that entire team is just, you know, and I don't blame them. Um, you get caught watching Aaron Judge. Like, obviously, like, it, it's it's only natural to be like, oh, okay, yeah, we're down by six. So, yeah, Judge will probably hit two, three run shots to get us right back in this. And he does because he's the Jacob deGrom of hitters right now. Um, <laughs> The Jacob Degrom hitters. <laughs> it's I, he's a nonsense player. Like it, it's just, and I understand why you then kind of like lean on him. Um, there's a lot of a lot of echoes of other Yankee teams with the Yankees that um, 2011, 2012. There's a little 05 in there too. There's there's a lot to not like right now, but also they look like crap right now. The other thing to be concerned about for both the Mets and the Yankees, and, and Keelan, you're the central time zone, um, so you might be as... None of us watches the Astros regularly, I, I don't think, do we? But they're no, I awesome. do. <laughs> Sadly. <laughs> oh, then go ahead. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, they're... I mean, I'm a White Sox fan, first and foremost, so yes. the Astros are my... Mortal enemy. <laughs> Mortal enemy whom you slew in the great battle of 2005, dragging them kicking and screaming to the American League as subjugates. Yeah. But also during this, I'm thinking about even last year. Oh, that too. Well, last year, like, I mean, the Braves, what were their odds of like even, I don't remember if it was making it to the World, World Series or winning it, but it was like 0. 0.2 or 0.02% or something. So... I also, I'm with Britt here. I'm a believer. So Jesse and Eddie, you should feel fine. <laughs> Just trust us. I think us. the thing with the Mets too is that, and again, not to this. this is oh, the another, Mets. Like, yeah, I'm all well, in on the Mets. Fuck this the White is also Sox. like a, a point of contrast with the not the Astros either. Fuck them. Kind of. The between. White Sox could beat the Astros in the playoffs. That'd be a first round upset. There you go. There you I go. Know. I would love that. <laughs> I would love that. I would too. <laughs> But I think that if you look at um, if you look at the Yankees and you look at the Mets and you look at again sort of the Dynasty Giants to kind of tie that thread back in, your manager makes all the difference in when it gets comes down to it, right? Like the the margins are so narrow that on the one hand, get in, get in, and something will work, or it won't. But that's where do you have Buck Showalter? or Bruce Bochy, or do you have Aaron Boone? And I'm not even like the biggest Aaron Boone hater in the world, but I mean, I do think that's a place where the Mets can probably feel more comfortable looking at where things stand as you get into the end of the season, as you get into October, than a lot of other teams can. Because I do, I trust Buck Showalter more than 
the vast majority of current major league managers to push the right buttons and and get the most out of what's available from the team in that moment. Yeah, I, I want to be clear here. I don't like despise Aaron Boone, but I do think that he is a liability when you get to that top level. And like, you know, we're, we're sure. going to do a football show. I'll put it in, in kind of um, football-y terms that like you have your Dusties and your Bucks and your, you know, your, who are your Belichicks and your Tomlins. And then Aaron Boone is like a Mike McCarthy. He's probably better that he's, you know, he's a solidly above average guy to lead your big market team and get you to the playoffs every year. And then you will lose to a superior organization. I love that, that comparison. Like, <laughs> he's, uh, he's Kyle Shanahan. Yeah. Like, and, and it pains me as a Niners fan <laughs> to say that, but there, there's some definite Kyle Shanahan vibes that like he can take a team that is so good on paper and should have every advantage going into it and find a way to lose the Super Bowl. I'm not bitter. It's fine. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, there's a granted the difference being that Kyle Shanahan is also like an offensive coordinator side wizard so that that's why you hire Kyle Shanahan and that's why you put up with the parts of it that maybe don't work as well. Why do you hire Aaron Boone? Because he's Aaron Boone. I mean, that's like that's the answer <laughs> fundamentally. Like, and, and again, I don't even think that I don't even think he's bad at his job necessarily. I think there's been lots of former players who came into managing without really having a lot of actual managing pedigree and have just fallen on their faces spectacularly. Is there anyone in a city that one of us is in that could? Possibly apply to that. Who came off of ESPN? Huh. It's just a, it's a mystery. Who followed the Aaron Boone model? And I just can't put my finger on it right there. Yeah. Um, anyway, um, we did uh, we we did talk this afternoon in our pre-show or whatever it is. We we were determined to talk about butts, and then I brought up T-shirts, and then we got distracted and. Again, it's never a good plan to actually want to talk about something on this show because that's probably not what's going to happen. Uh, I can blame Allison all day, but it's also me. Like, let's be honest. We're all here. We all, holy crap, my cat is like wrestling with a garbage bag. Oh, it's, it's not a garbage bag. It's a shopping bag. I feel I'm like sorry. the Aaron Boone being handsome transitioned to butts. It was, you know, it was there. Follow the line. Yeah, I missed solid. it. I'll go with it. Whoop. Do a little whoop into it. What? What? I didn't come with any prepared material about butts. I'm selling butts T-shirts now, but that's that's all I got. Um, I'm usually more reactive on this. Um, I I will say, you know, I thought, I don't think I've discussed it on this show, but uh, getting tickets to the Mets game in left field um, for that the the night game of that doubleheader, uh, Mark Hanna remains uh, in extremely good standing with Willett's pen in, in all possible ways. Um, including, I love... uh, yeah, it, just fantastic. I, I remember really like 
not being quite sure who to share my feeling with in the start of the season. I kept looking at Mark Tana being like, oh, he's so sexy. Like, I don't know how to tell. And good thing um, Willett's Ted exists and we've really got the, we're firing on all cylinders because this is a safe space where that is a known fact. The Prada sunglasses in the outfield, like, So good. And it, it's interesting because I think there is a certain, there's, there's a vibe overlap to a degree with Mark Canna and Adam Adovino both, where it's this vaguely, it's this very like coastal elite hipster quality um, without being like obnoxious about it. Like they both seem like very chill, like guys you would enjoy like having a beer with or whatever. Um, but just like, you know, going to go do their sort of fun, interesting hobby artsy stuff on the side and like, have a, a personality and an, a life that is not uh, throwing or hitting a baseball 800 hours a week. Oddly healthy. It's so well adjusted and adult. That, see, that's what it is right there. It's that they are the only baseball players practically who actually seem like grown-ups. Yeah. And then there's Liam Hendricks who combines that with an Australian accent and um, yeah, that's, that's a powerful thing. It is. It's charming. Hashtag. I would say also a uh, shout out to Mark Canna for being an excellent representative of a Jesuit education uh, and the university of California system. So we, we do, we do love a local boy. It's funny because uh, for those of you who are not excessively familiar with the Catholic school system in the greater Bay area. Um, it's a real exercise in contrast with the, the Catholic boys high school in, in this area generally, and particularly in the like South of San Francisco uh, area. And it's so hysterical because broadly speaking, in my experience, having grown up in the area, the the guys who went to to Bellarmine, where Mark Canna went, and also where Pat Burrell went, which I just think is hysterical, um, are broadly speaking, just, they're, just, they're very cool. I've had very very few issues of even growing up with the guys who went there. Just like very respectful and chill, and seemed like they were going to go grow up to be like decent humans. And then the uh, their sort of semi rival school, which is where Tom Brady went to high school. Uh, is everything that if you are not a Pats fan, you would you would assume of what that meant. Like 100% every cliche when I tell you Tom Brady went to that school, it's true. All of it. <laughs> what school is that? I feel like uh, I, I know Tom the name Brady, of it. Tom Brady, Tom Brady went to Sarah High in San Mateo. Who else went there? Somebody, somebody Barry else. Okay. Yeah, there's Sarah. Sarah is a very Barry Bonds also famously friendly and uh, accessible. Yeah, look, look uh, uh-huh. Barry Bonds is a load bearing part of my my uh, baseball upbringing, so I don't want to like talk too much mess. But yes, again, like what you would expect. Um, Barry Bonds, I I will tell this story a million times forever. Like the time after he spent, you know however many minutes it was just deflecting question after question after question in the dugout in Houston. Um, and I was there, you know, covering it and he 
you know, after the cameras go away and after 90% of the reporters go away, he's just sitting there chatting about his favorite Spider-Man comics and like the current storyline in Spider-Man. Cause he's a huge fan of like the Spider-Man comics. It's like, dude, you show this much humanity in public once and your problems will go away. But that and wasn't I, anything that was part of him. So, you know, I've, I've heard similar sort of anecdotes about people who have interacted with him in like casual, non-professional kind of settings. And so it is really sort of, I'm sure he's not alone in this, but it is sort of unfortunate when you're like, you don't have to be that guy that people don't like, like that is a, that is a choice. And I understand that part of it is born out of the way he saw his dad get treated by the media and, and a lot of, and he did not get treated fairly by the media in a lot of cases. So I don't want to say that it's entirely his fault necessarily even, but I mean, he got shit on nationally for leaving Pittsburgh. So I, I, I get it. Imagine I get blaming why, someone for leaving the pirates. <laughs> right. At no point in history has leaving the pirates been a bad career choice. Like, I mean, look, as, again, uh, not to, not to talk too much crap about the pirates unnecessarily, but like they've earned it. But I mean, <laughs> look, you look at, look at the rotation that they had built for what should have been their run. Mm-hmm. Like, Cole. You, you had Garrett Cole, you had Jamison Tyon, who, despite being hurt, has now come back around. Tyler Glasnow is as good as he's ever been. I mean, that trade. Being hurt. Oh, goodness. I feel bad. Brutal. I loved Chris Arthur so much, too. He was such a cool, like, he was like the likable guy on the Rays, too. Right, which I didn't think they were allowed to have, though. No, like, you talk about the Yankees having, like, the Yankee Trons 2700 that they slap all their players in and cut off any stray facial hair or anything like that. Like, the Rays just, like, if if a finance bro could be a baseball team, it's the freaking Rays. <laughs> oh, my God. Yes. <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> well, then you add on the fact that for a long time, they, they have stopped doing this thankfully but for a long time they were like the island of misfit toys and all of the absolute like disaster human beings that other teams didn't want ended up there because they could get them cheaply and well, let's like, let's not forget you know this very season their players who um what they yeah. refused to wear the hat. Well, I, I don't remember. I just remember that they're a bunch of homophobic shits. Can yeah, they refused to wear the hat and then yeah. to make some very the Rays think... for whatever reason reason decided that letting them make a public statement about why was a good choice. Yeah, I think they ripped or some of them tried to tear the little uh, the pride flag. Off. Yeah, was, I don't think it was a flag. It was like a but some kind of thing honoring pride on their hats off. Yeah, and they were like oh, it should be my freedom to not do that. <laughs> cool stuff. Real cool. Real cool finance bro stuff. Those are the wrong kind of butts. Those <laughs> yeah. are the, kind are the butts. wrong it's kind more of, of butts. It's more of ass than butt. Speaking of butts, though, uh, Adley Rutschman had a very nice home run earlier this evening. Uh, for Beautiful. anyone who hasn't already seen it. Uh and that's just a 
fun story too, I think. And, and I think it's kind of an interesting parallel to kind of where the Mets are, but like at a different stage of the evolution is seeing the Orioles in spite of weird organizational choices kind of come back into their own and have this incredibly fun, like young core of players. And like, that's just, I, again, I'm not an Orioles fan. I have no, no, no skin in this game, but it's, fun i like watching it i like seeing the people i know who who are orioles fan like have something enjoyable to watch and have some sense of hope like that's uh that's been in short supply in baltimore for way too long and addy you and i are gonna go see him with allison and my family and your partner and i don't know if allison's bringing anybody but we'll we'll figure that out uh it's it's like two weeks away they're gonna play the a's in a meaningful game, Oakland at Baltimore in September. Fun. That's what's meaningful. It's going to be great. And then also around that time, we will be starting our football show, which will be like this show, except that we'll not talk about football very much. <laughs> Just like we don't baseball. talk about football or baseball on this exactly. show. Exactly. Exactly. Um, we did talk about some football on this show. We talked about some baseball good. on this show. We talked about some butts on this show. We talked about at the very beginning me singing along badly to the song as it was playing out. And we're not going to end that way because I'm not going to sing this time. But the music is playing. uh, And we've gone on for for long enough. So, Uh, Addie Baird, Keelan Blue, Britt Huber. That's the three of them. I'm Jesse Spector. Thanks for listening. And we'll see you next time. Good night.